and God cares about this building and he cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful and they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth. Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth. Believe in something today. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the sermon. Economic issues have always been tethered to the desire to have sex. I've said this before, I've said it on the radio, I've said it in church. If you want to destroy the world, you could do it two ways. Those two issues are connected and you can't separate them. Okay, so if you could come up with a magic powder that you could put in the water system that would, you know, make its way through the clouds and evaporation and all that, make its way across the world. If you made a dust that destroys the desire to have sex in all human beings, for about the next 50 to 100 years after you administer that sex desire, the desire for opposite sex, that men like women and women like men and all that, that passion that's in all, we're sexual creatures. We want each other, it's normal. Dr. Dufresne used to call it the urge to merge. We got it, it's there, okay? So if you destroy that, you figure out how to destroy that, here's what would happen. It would have a direct impact on the economy. Here's what would happen. We would see the greatest explosion of technology, mind-boggling, it would make everything we know right now look like bloodletting two, three hundred years ago. When somebody got sick, they'd, I'll fix it, let's drain all your blood out. You know, that's what the doctors used to do. This will make you feel better, okay? If we destroyed the sex instinct in humanity around the world, socialism would end, it'd be gone. Marxism would be gone. The entire world would inevitably convert to all 100% capitalist principles. We would have the greatest scientific innovation since the dawn of mankind in the creation story. There would be technology beyond your wildest dreams. We would probably figure out how to transport ourselves through a transporter and be somewhere else instantly, just like in Star Trek. We'd figure it all out. We would have all this technology because the sex instinct was destroyed. We would have it, and it would be the most sophisticated, most wealthy, most well-fed, nourished, intelligent group of human beings that the world has ever seen just before we all died off because no one had any babies, and we would go extinct. There's another way to kill the world. Leave the sex drive where it is and make a magic dust that destroys the property instinct in a man or a woman. The natural programming of God created a man that wants to produce, that wants to work, the desire to obtain and own property. Kill it. Kill the property instinct, leaving only the sexual instinct in power. And the entire world would turn into a huge, out-of-control sexual orgy. 
they would run out of condoms and women would be pregnant everywhere, all over the place because they couldn't control themselves and there was no, there'd be no such thing as protected sex. Women, would, they would be piling up at the grass outside of St. Luke's and they'd be standing at the door with armed guards and we can't take any more women to give birth in here. There, there, there would be women having birth out in the fields. There, there would be, it would be horrible and, and everyone, it would be a huge population explosion, the welfare state, the demand that the government pay for everything, for everyone, for every reason, would, it, we would be the biggest utopian dream of Karl Marx that he ever had in any of his demonically inspired nightmares. It would all happen. And then we would all die out because we'd run out of food. We'd starve to death. Too many people, not enough corn not enough beans. Who wants to go out and hoe a garden when you can have sex? And so God gives us these two powerful instincts. These are extraordinarily powerful folks and if they're kept in balance, they keep the world turning, literally. And so Father God looks at Adam and says, that tree, um, you're not old enough to understand this yet, but I'm giving you a wife. You're gonna have to learn it. See that tree in the middle, a really pretty one. Don't eat that. That's not yours. See, God had to teach that the instinct to obtain property had limits. Thou shalt not steal. Why? Well, because Eve's going to have 10 gazillion children over many, many thousands of years. And they all, they have a property instinct too. And there has to be a, an, economic, an economically just way for each person, listen carefully, to honestly and justly earn the right to obtain the property that they were designed to want. This is the foundation of biblical economic theory. And so the question from the very beginning, and I'm bringing us back now to where we left off. The question, don't, don't think generosity anymore. Generosity is the pathway that gets you to dominion. I want you to understand dominion. God wants you, if you're a twice-born, to get back to his original intention when he commanded two things, have babies and have dominion. So now you should be thinking different about having children than you thought when you were a pagan and you got married. Now your priority, your emphasis, your your mature view of the universe, every time you're so fortunate and blessed to have a child born into your house, as a husband and wife, your wife gets pregnant and she gives birth, we're about to have our fifth baby. I'm really excited about this. I'm gonna have three beautiful daughters. God's blessed me with that and two very handsome, delightful young men. My wife knows that if it were up to me, we'd have 12 but she has to go through this process, so we're in negotiations. <laughs> when you're born the second time, your attitude goes back. In theory, it's supposed to go back. Listen to me. Evidence of being born a second time. Listen to me. Your priority of your heart when you have a child, when it's born in the hospital, the first thing that enters your mind, dad, mom, 
when you stand up at the altar with that baby and you raise it up to heaven and you, you dedicate the child to God. A twice-born thinks different. You look at the baby the day that they're born and you're appealing to God, Father God, show me how to lead them to you. Show me how to get them born again. This isn't enough. They're born once, this only guarantees hell. They have to be born a second time or they're going to go to hell. Listen carefully. When you're twice born, you don't think the same anymore. The question was in the Garden of Eden, it was a partnership. It was God establishing his kingdom before sin. And he said, I'm going to give you these instincts to have sex, replenish the earth. I want children born in righteousness, filling the earth. Righteous children filling the earth. And he gave it to them. He said, I want you to have dominion. I want you to, to take possession in an honest way, in a moral way, in a just way. Own, obtain, and utilize and enjoy property have dominion the dominion instinct and the instinct to reproduce and the beauty of sex and the beauty of of having beautiful things that God made it was always a part of establishing the kingdom and it still is and if you're born a second time you got to get back to understanding what he wanted what he wanted was Adam and Eve to have children that belong to him he wanted righteous children born and filling up the world. And you can't have a twice-born righteous child filling up the world if you're unwilling to have them born the first time. And this is why we keep cautioning you about treating sex like it's some kind of personal carnival and that it does not involve having children. This is why the Catholic Church, rightly so, has warned society for a long time that you should not be cavalier about birth control. It creates a societal proclivity to disrespect the purpose of intimacy. And it has, and it's too late to fix it. Having children is what God wants us to do as married couples. He wants us to fill up the earth with righteous children. And here's the catch. They have to be born once, but your priority should always be getting them born a second time. So your sexual instinct has to be given back to God. If you're a twice-born, going-to-heaven believer, you look at sex as something far greater and more noble and more beautiful. You have an epic understanding of what God is trying to accomplish here. And that is essentially, he wants righteous children all around the world. And the fact that you're willing to have natural children is the start, but your priority should be the end game. What good would it be, listen to me, to have eight children and they all go to hell. So you gotta get your mind to think right. Now let's talk about the property instinct because what God wanted from Adam was a partnership. He wanted Adam to say, I'm gonna have dominion and establish your dominion. 
I'm going to establish your kingdom. Show me how to do it. Show me how to do it. There's going to be more people, God, Adam might have said. There's going to be more people. We're having our first children, and they're twins. The first kids born were twins. First human beings to get pregnant gave birth to twins. I think the fact that our proclivity today is only to have one child is a part of the fall. I think that it, had man not sinned, it would be far more commonplace for women to give birth to twins every time they got pregnant. I know the women are going, but realize it was without the suffering and without the pain. Okay? Pregnancy, you're thinking after the curse. I'm talking before. Pregnancy was wonderful. I don't know how that worked. There you go. <laughs> I don't know, but apparently it didn't hurt, and it scares me to think about how that would work. I don't know. But he wanted, Adam was designed and programmed before sin to want to establish God's kingdom. Now what happens? Sin comes. Two things get affected by sin. Two areas where men don't like restraint, people. Even the church doesn't like it. The church is preaching against the Ten Commandments all over the country right now. Why? Two things. Thou shalt not steal. Don't covet. Don't be greedy. Don't be selfish. You, you got to have restraint on the instinct that God gave you. Why? Well, you're born once. So we got all these people that are once borners claiming that they're twice borners, but they're just as envious, just as greedy, just as selfish, just as narcissistic as any pagan I've ever seen. But they'll go to church and say, well, but, but my preacher told me that because I prayed some prayer when I was 12, that I'm good. You're not good. I can't be any more blunt. You're not good. And I can just look at the fruit. Jesus said, judge you by the fruit. I see the same thing on you that I see on a pagan. You can't be a twice born. Because in order to get through the birth canal, there's discomfort. And, and, and when you become a twice born Christian, you go through some stuff having to relearn how to act, how to think, how to behave. You start seeing things different and your flesh does not like being crucified. So if you've never crucified your flesh, probably haven't even been born the second time. I hope you heard the, the weight of what I just said because we've sold people a bill of goods about what it means to be born again and how you get there. It is a work of grace. The Bible says of grace, a man and a woman who are married inherit the grace of life. That means they have the power of procreation to have a baby, to get pregnant. And then the apostle said, behold, I speak of a mystery. Concerning marriage, I speak of Christ and the church. You're listening to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Don't miss the conclusion of this sermon after these messages. Our country is no longer in need of a great awakening. America is in need desperately of a resurrection. And there's a difference between a resurrection 
and a great awakening. In far too many American churches, the Great Commission has been reduced. The emphasis is on really getting people ready to die. But the church is not here to get people prepared to die so much as we're here to equip people and how to truly live. I've written a new book that talks about this. It's called A Storm, A Message, A Bottle. You can get a copy of the book at beyondthewallsradio.com. God bless you. Welcome back to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. When Adam sinned, his sexual desire was instantly perverted away from the proper priorities and view of what sex was supposed to accomplish for God. It was no longer for God. Folks, sex was for him. Sex was for Eve. Sex was for Adam. It was no longer for God. And when sin came, the dominion instinct, the desire to decide whether or not to touch that tree, what did they do? Well, they went and did what they were told not to do. They would not honor or respect the principle of thou shalt not steal. And if you look, go back in the history of the world, how many millions, maybe billions of people have been slaughtered over with wars and fighting connected to those two issues, sex and money? And so we did not have a just way of restraining the sexual impulse. You get the story of Noah. What's happening in the world? What's happening in the world with Noah? They are sexually out of control. Every kind of evil, they are they are murderous. They are stealing and killing one another for what? So that they can take away the rightfully owned property of other people and enjoy it themselves. So you have sex out of control and no respect for personal property rights bringing civilization to such darkness that God the Father in heaven said, the only right thing to do, the only way I could possibly protect the one family that has pure genetic stock, that hasn't perverted themselves in some sexual act, and that can carry through to deliver the Messiah in the future, the only way I can protect Noah is to kill everyone. God had to kill the whole world through the flood because of a mishandling of the property instinct and the sexual instinct. What was Abraham's issue? He was unable to have a child. If you don't have the sexual thing happening like it ought to be happening, what happens? Well, the other instinct becomes disproportionate. You focus your energy on what you do have. Abraham becomes financially one of the richest men on the planet. He's so rich that other nations and kings ask him, please move away because just you being here is embarrassing to me. Because you have more than me, and I'm supposed to be a king, and you're not a king. And so God sees something spectacular. He takes him on a particular mountaintop. He gives him a child. It was, it's, a, it's a supernatural miracle in old age. A man and a woman who, for whatever reason, were sterile and fertile, couldn't have children. In their old age, God grants them a miracle. If they had been normal, it would have been crazy to get pregnant that old. But these people had something seriously wrong. He reverses it so effectively they have a baby in their old age. They have one child. That's it. One. Right? One that's done right. Okay? He, he sins sexually and we're still dealing with them. They're running around cutting people's heads off right now. He has one child of promise and then God, God wants to make a covenant. But covenants have to be just. 
They have to be right. They have to, be, they have to show justice and fairness. They have to be honorable. And God has an agenda the whole time, so he asks this most preposterous thing. You've only, you, you, all these years I gave you a miracle, you had what? You, get, you had sex with your wife and she got pregnant in your old age and you got one son and you know he came from me and I gave him to you. Now, take him to the top of the mountain and kill him. Offer him up as a sacrifice for your sins. And Abraham responds, very different than most humans. And I want you to hear me. I'm, I'm going to take John 3.16. I'm going to take my liberty for a minute because I want you to understand how God functions with covenant. For Abraham so loved his God that he gave his only begotten son. And so Abraham, demonstrating the principle of John 3.16 upside down, takes his only begotten son and is ready to kill him. And God never wanted him to be killed. He just wanted to see if Abraham had the kind of love he had always wanted to see come from Adam. A love that said, I want to give you children and I want to have your dominion over the world. Adam wouldn't do that. And suddenly, God sees demonstrated in the attitude and the heart and the motives of Abraham the very two issues he could not get out of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And Abraham takes his sexual miracle, says, I'll give you that. We look at how Abraham handled his money. Out of the volition of his heart, he tithed with no law saying that he had to. He said, I, I want to establish your dominion and he's not really my son, he's yours. So God stops Abraham and then he said, now I have grounds to make a covenant and at that moment, he wrote John 3.16 in, in the spirit world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe should not perish but have everlasting life. So covenant, God has to see the elements on our side and then he can match it. So now I want you to move about a thousand years into the future. Same mountain. It's recorded in the book of Second Chronicles. Same mountain. There's a king named David. Same mountain. Now the place where Abraham raised up his knife to kill and this covenant made. And, and God responds and says, you're not giving me your son. I just wanted grounds that I could give you my son. David has an epiphany. It's the dominion epiphany. Listen to me carefully. It's talked about in Chronicles and in Samuel. David is sitting in his palace, a place of permanence. It's not meant to be portable. And it dawns on him one day that he sinned, and Nathan was with him, the prophet. In the book of Samuel, I think it's 2 Samuel, I think it's chapter 9, he looks at Nathan and he says, this isn't right. I sit here in a palace made for permanence, and yet God, he still has a portable tent thing, as if we're nomads. This isn't right. I, I've done wrong. I, I've been building my kingdom. I, I need to build God's kingdom first. 
not second or third. He needs to be first. And, and I've all this, all this wonder, I've built this whole kingdom and God has blessed me. And the whole time, my attitude hasn't been right. My, prior, my priorities haven't been right. And Nathan looks at David and says, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. And so David says in his heart, like Abraham said in his heart, I'm gonna kill my son for you, God. And David says, I'm gonna build a house for you, God. And God responds to that heart and he finds a place of covenant. And he says, no, you can't build me a house. I just wanted you to want to. I'm gonna build you a house. And David had sinned and he he was repentant. He said, God, I've sinned. And God says this, go up to the top of this particular mountain. Guess what mountain it was? Same mountain where Abraham had said, I'm gonna give you my son. And God said, no, I just wanted you to have that motive. I'm gonna give you my son. And God says, go up on top of this mountain, same place, and build me an altar and make sacrifices for your sins there before me because you've done wrong. And David looks and he says, I need, God has spoken to me, I'm the king, and God has told me to come here and to build an altar in this spot, this eight acre threshing floor that you've probably had for generations. And I have to, I'm sorry, but I need, I need all this. I have to build an altar and repent. And the property owner looks at David and says, it's all yours, take everything. You can have it all to worship God. And David looks at him, listen to me, because dominion, he was getting back to dominion now. Sexually, David had screwed up. Financially, David had screwed up. His priorities were wrong and he had messed around with Bathsheba. Both of those issues emerge again. This is a wonder. And David says, I'm gonna buy it from you. You're not gonna give this to me. How could I give God what costs me nothing? And so David, at this point in the scriptures, only gives earnest money, and he pulls out shekels of silver and makes a deposit, a down deposit. Later on, the book of 2 Chronicles tells us he paid, I think, 600 shekels of silver for this eight-acre section of land, and he buys it. And then God says, you're not building me a house. You can't build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And he says, but I'm going to allow your son Solomon, because Solomon hasn't been tainted by war. You've killed too many men with your hands. I don't want you building a temple for me. And many, many years later, after David is dead, this threshing floor where he repented, the same spot where Abraham said, I'll give you a son. And God said, I don't want your son. I wanted the grounds to give you mine. And David offers up a sacrifice. He says, I want to build you a house. And God says, you can't build me a house. I'm going to build a house for you. And he has this epiphany of dominion with his finances. You're not being generous when you give God what is his. Generosity is something you do person to person. Obligations and honor is something you do with God. Dominion is ingrained in your view as a Christian. You're not looking just to buy your own house, buy your own car, buy your own clothes, do all your own things now. Now you want to establish God's kingdom. That's your heart, that's your priority. And Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and then all those other things will be added to you. Here's why. Because you're doing the same thing Abraham did. I I wanna give you my son. God says, I'm glad you have that attitude. Now I can give you mine. I don't want your son. I wanna give you mine. David says, I want to build you a house. God says, I'm glad you have the attitude. Now I'm going to build your house. And we come to the Lord Jesus. We say, I'm seeking your kingdom first. I want your kingdom first. And you know what Jesus says? I'm glad that you want to do that because I'm going to establish you. And all these other things will be added to you. This is dominion. 
This is the dominion instinct being restored to what it's supposed to be. And so be generous with one another, but make sure, number one, that you're honoring the marriage institution. First of all, by having a right and holy attitude about your obligation to replenish the earth by having children. But then also remember, it's not just your four and no more, that those children have to be born a second time. And God wants to establish this institution where other people's children could come and be born a second time. Can you say amen? This has been Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. God himself blew on his tree so that there would be a light. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Ecclesium nulla salus. There is no salvation outside of the church. Thank you for tuning in. 